Welcome to the Myth, Legend and Lore podcast. Scotland. Through the mist of rain and low rolling clouds, where the sun glitters upon granite and stone, where each leaf, blade of grass, and the rich scent of heather flourishes across both field and moor. Its beauty is breathtaking. Mountains with their jagged peaks reaching up towards the heavens, surrounded by glens steeped in ancient history, woodlands stretching its long limbs to the edges of the deepest lochs across the land. Islands, resisting the turmoil of the wild open sea, where legends of what lies within the deep both haunt and transfix man. Today we discover the Selkie, one of Scotland's oldest folk legends, with tales that demonstrate the gentle nature of this creature and the sorrow that befalls it so often at the hands of humankind. But I will also share stories where there are lessons to be learned from the mistreatment of this shape-changer, one that slips off the skin of a seal to walk upon the land with two legs. Selkies, Selkies, Selkie or seal folk are the names commonly given to describe this mythological creature that sheds its seal skin when taping, taking human form. Many of the folklore tales in Scotland concerning this creature come from the Shetland and Orkney Islands, but are also well known on the coasts of the Scottish mainland. Certainly growing up in Scotland, the story of the Selkie was one that captured my imagination. You need only to observe seals in their natural habitat to agree that there is something quite magical about them. Is it in their eyes? large, dark and not unlike our own, that they transfix the watcher? I can't be sure, but I have often thought about it. So what did the tales reveal to us about the Selkie? A common element of the stories is the seal skin. Once the Selkie has taken human form, they must have their skin in order to return to the sea. If it's lost or stolen, the Selkie is trapped in human form. The skins are precious to them. And if scared on land, they have been described as snatching up the skin before rushing back into the sea. Should a selkie be trapped on land by someone who is taking their seal skin, they will feel an unrelenting compulsion to return to the sea once it has been found. In some stories, seal women have abandoned their human husbands and children, never to return to them once their skin has been reclaimed. How often or why a selkie transformed is varied. Folklore mentions Midsummer's Eve, every ninth night or every seventh stream, when the Selkie folk might be seen on the shore under the bright moonlight, either dancing or walking alone by the edge of the sea. The origins of the Selkies come from some rather tragic and sad lore. In stories they are said to be fallen angels, the souls of drowned young women, and those who took their own lives. In Scandinavian folklore, seals were people who had drowned in suicide attempts and were now condemned to wear seal skins. Not only were the female Selkies said to be quite beautiful, but the Selkie men were also said to be handsome, and often seduced lonely young women. If a woman wanted to call a Selkie male to her, she would shed seven tears into the sea. I will play a song at the end of the podcast. It is a ballad called Selkie. The song is is about the great Selkie of Sulskeri. It comes from Shetland and Orkney and was collected in the 1850s. In the story, a selkie man seduces a human woman into bearing his half-sealed child. It really is a haunting ballad with a terribly sad ending. 
The woman is fated to wed the gunner of a ship who kills the Selkie and their son. I urge you to listen to the song in full because the story, the, the words and the music, really, really quite beautiful. There are a great many tales that involve romantic elements to the story of the Selkie, but I have some for you that have more of a cautionary message as well. There is a wonderful book called Folklore of the Scottish Locks and Springs by James N. McKinley, and it was first printed in 1863. This book covers a great deal of interesting information about the cult of well worship in ancient Scotland. Where the worlds of natural and supernatural would have been hard to separate for our ancestors, archaic water and nature worship developed because nature to them was a mystery. It had a power they could not quite explain. And I have a passage here that contains a description of Selkies from the book. These singular beings dwelt in the caves of ocean and came up to disport themselves on the shores of the islands. They usually rose through the water in the shape of seals, and when they reached the beach they slipped off their skins and appeared like ordinary mortals, the females being of exceeding beauty. If the skins could be snatched away on these occasions, their owners were powerless to escape into the sea again. Sometimes these creatures were entangled in the nets of fishermen or caught by hooks. If they were shot when in seal form, a tempest arose as soon as their blood was mingled with the water of the sea. Seals, these creatures whose habitat is the sea, where they are graceful and swift, and on land can be observed in colonies of large numbers, are to be found along the northwest coast of Ireland, in the coastal regions of Scotland and the islands. And that's where I have some tales that I've found to share with you. These were of interest and significance for me because here in Orkney and Shetland we find a link to Scandinavian folklore and in particular the influence the Norse may have had. Orkney has a staggering amount of history to explore. From the 5th century AD there is evidence of the island being occupied. The Picts arrived at some time in the 7th century and it was a stronghold until the arrival of the Norse in the 9th century. Shetland has a similar story. In fact, the reach of the Norse had extended to much of the west coast of Scotland and the Hebrides. However, after the Battle of Largs in 1263, their power was confined to the Orkney and Shetland Islands. In the Orkneyanga saga, which I'll be covering at a later date, it chronicles the earldom of Orkney and Shetland during the time of the Viking Age. It's another fascinating reread. So, that's a little bit of historical context, and bear with me as there's a very good reason for mentioning this. But back to the folklore. While seal folk are often regarded as gentle creatures, there are other beings who share the seas, and one was known as the fin folk, who were rather feared, but also share some interesting behaviour with the silkies, which I'm sure you're going to recognise. In Orkney folklore, the myth of the fin folk is a dark tale. These shapeshifters, who are connected to sorcery, dwell in Finfolkahim over the long winter months in their undersea kingdom. The Orkney island of Einhallow was said to once belong to the Finfolk. They called it Hildeland. It was a magical place that was eventually taken by the farmer Thorodale and cleaned of enchantment. These beings were able to choose when they left the sea for the human realm, unlike the Selkies. But like the Selkies, they were masters of the sea, and both Finmen and women came ashore in search of their mortal counterparts. Many of the tales of the Finfolk surround the taking of mortals to their undersea realm. These people were never seen or heard from again. The Finman is described as a tall figure, an ominous presence, dark and foreboding. He is said to use sorcery to steer his boat that required no sail, 
and he had the power to cross the seas from Orkney to Norway or Iceland. When I was researching the stories of the Finfolk, I had a real sense of cultures and myths merging. And I've come across a few sources that were very interesting and ones that I'm going to share. The author and Gaelic historian John Macaulay carried out extensive research of folklore of the islands and offered a theory that the Selkie or Finfolk were in fact the Sea Sami of northwestern Norway. The Sami are the indigenous people of the Scandinavian peninsula. They lived alongside the other peoples and cultures in what we would now call Norway, Finland, Sweden and Russia. Their way of life, which includes a rich culture and mythology, was one of hunting and herding reindeer and fishing. The Sea Sami, who were a nomadic tribe, who constructed their kayaks or canoes from sealskin, and quite probably wore clothing also made from the same material. Their canoes are said to have no sail, sat low in the water, and so the sight of the sealskin clad figures floating in across the sea might have been quite alarming to the native islanders. Thus, tales began to appear. However, there are also families such as the Macodrums of Eust, who are said to be the descendants from seal folk, indicating that the visitors to the island integrated and interbred with the Scottish inhabitants. Another source of information came from a book that I just haven't been able to put down recently. John Gregerson Campbell's Superstitions of the Highlands and Islands is fascinating. First published in 1900, John Gregerson Campbell was a Gaelic speaker who spent his life as a minister on the island of Tyree. Some of the folklore in his book is really intriguing, and one passage that caught my eye was under the section marked as spells. It reads, In Caithness, seals are deemed to be fallen angels, and the Celtic belief that they are the king's children under spells is paralleled in the Shetland Tales of the Norway Finns. These are persons, a native of these northern islands, who come across from Norway to Shetland in the shape of large seals. A Shetlander, on his way to the fishing, early in the morning, came across a large seal lying on a rock. Creeping up quietly, he managed to stab it with his knife. The animal was only slightly wounded and floundered into the water, taking the knife along with it. Sometime afterwards, the fisherman went with others to Norway to buy wood. In the first house he entered, he saw his own big knife stuck up under a beam. He himself had given it up for lost, but the Norwegian took down the knife and gave it back to him, telling him to never again disturb a poor sea animal taking its rest. And there's also mention of the Macodrums, which is a tale that I'm going to tell you in a moment, but here is the excerpt. There's a sept in North Uist known as the Macodrums of the Seals. Said to be descendants of these enchanted seals, the progenitor of the family being down about the shore, saw the seals putting off their coverings and washing themselves. He fled home with one of the skins and hid it above the lintel of the door. The owner of the covering followed him. He clad her with human garments, married her, and had a family by her. She managed ultimately to regain possession of her lost covering and disappeared. And in one last section, a cautionary tale about unwise or cruel actions. West of Eust, there is a rock called Consman to which the neighbouring islanders are in the habit of yearly going to kill seals. On one of these expeditions, a young man named Aegon, son of Aegon, killed a large seal in the usual manner by a knock on the head, and put a wire through his paw to secure it, while he himself went to attend other matters. When he came back, however, the seal was gone. Some time after he was driven away in a storm and landed in a district he did not recognise, he made his way to one of the houses, 
and was very hospitably entertained. His host, who had been surveying him intently, when the meal was over, asked his name. He told, and the host said, Aegon, son of Aegon, though I have given you meat and cheese and eggs, upon your two hands be it, Aegon, son of Aegon, you put the why through my fist. So then, let me share some of the stories that I've gathered. Firstly, this tale from the Faroe Islands, collected around 1852 in a book of Faroese folk songs. A similar story can be found not only in Norway and Iceland, but also Scotland and the islands. In fact, the motif of a seal woman can be found across much of Northern Europe. The Seal Woman Seals were actually people who of their own free will plunged themselves into the ocean and drowned. Once a year, on the twelfth night, they get a chance to take off their skins and they look just like everyone else. They dance and play on the flat rocks by the shore and in the breeding caves near the beach and they have a fine time. A legend tells how a boy from the southmost farm in McLeodalur heard people say that the seals got together on the twelfth night in a cave on the breeding grounds not far from the village. So in the evening he went there to see if this was true. He hid behind a rock in front of the cave. After the sun went down, he saw seals swimming from all directions towards the spot where he was crouching. They took off their skins and put them on a flat rock on the beach, and they did look just like ordinary people. The boy was fascinated with these creatures, but then he saw the most beautiful woman he had ever seen step out of a seal skin. He watched where she placed her skin, which was not far from where he was. The boy crept over and took it out and returned to his hiding place. The seal folk danced all night long, but when it started to grow light, they returned to their skins. The beautiful seal woman could not find hers and wrung her hands, and wailed because the sun was about to come up. But just before it did, she caught its scent near the hiding place of the boy from Mikladalur, and pleaded with him to give it back to her. But he walked away from her, and she had to follow him to the farm. He took her as his wife, and they got on well together, but he always had to be careful not to let her get to her sealskin. He kept it in a locked chest and carried the key with him. One day he was fishing, and while he was sitting out at sea, pulling in the fish, his hand happened to brush against the belt where the key usually hung. He was dumbfounded when he realised that he must have forgotten the key at home. He cried out in grief, This evening I'll be without a wife. The other fishermen pulled in their lines and rowed home as fast as they could. When the man from Mikladalur got to his house, his wife was gone. Only the children were there, sitting quietly. So that they would not hurt themselves while they were alone in the house, his wife had put out the fire and locked up all the knives and sharp objects. After that, she had run down to the beach, pulled on her sealskin and plunged into the sea. She had indeed found the key and opened the chest, and when she saw the sealskin, she could not control herself and had to put it on. This is where the old saying comes from. He couldn't control himself any more than a seal that finds its skin. When she leaped into the sea, her seal mate found her, and they swam away together. All these years he had been waiting for her to come back to him. When the children she had with the man from Mikladalur went down to the beach, a seal could be seen just off the shore watching them, and everyone thought it was their mother. Many years went by, and there was nothing to tell of the man in the farm and the children that he and the seal woman had together. 
Then one day, the villagers from Mikladatler went hunting for baby seals down in the breeding caves. The night before, the seal woman appeared to the farmer in a dream and said that if he went with the other, other villagers to hunt for baby seals, he must make sure that they did not kill the male seal in front of the cave or the two seal pups that were lying at the very back of the cave. The male seal was her mate, and the pups were their sons, she said, and she told him how they were marked. But the farmer paid no heed to his dream. He went with the villagers to the cave, and they killed all the pups. As his share of the catch, the farmer got the entire seal and the flippers of the pups, and for dinner they ate the seal's head and the flippers. Dinner was being served when suddenly there came a loud noise and crashing, and the seal woman appeared in the kitchen in the shape of an ugly troll. She sniffed the serving bowls and shouted out in rage. Here is the nosebone of the old man, and here Haruka's hands and Fridrikur's foot. Avenged it is, and avenged it will be on the men of Mikladalur. Some will be lost at sea, and some will fall from the mountain cliffs and ledges. And this will go on until so many have died that they can hold hands and reach all the way around Kalsoy. Then she disappeared with a great crashing sound and was never seen again. All too often, men from Mikladalur perish at sea or fall from the mountain cliffs, but it is said that there is still a foolish farmer on the southmost farm, and so it seems that the number of men that have perished is not yet enough to reach around the island. And finally, the tale of Macodrum of the Seals. It happened that there was once a fisherman called Roderick Macodrum of the clan Donald who lived by himself on the Isle of Bernary and the Outer Hebrides. One day he was walking along the shore where his fishing boat lay when he heard the sound of singing coming up from a group of rocks nearby. Cautiously he approached the rocks and peered over the top of them. There before his eyes were a group of sea children taking their pleasure until the sun went down for the second time. Their long hair streamed behind them as they played, and their eyes were alight with joy. He did not look long, for he knew that the seals were shy of mortal men. But as he turned to go back, he caught the sight of a heap of silken skins, grey and black and golden brown, lying on a rock by his side, where the seal children had discarded them. He picked up one of the golden brown that shone with the brightest sheen of all, and he thought to himself it would make a fine trophy to take back to his shoreside cottage. So he took it with him when he went and hid it for safekeeping above the lintel of his cottage door. Now shortly after sundown that evening, as Roderick was mending his fishing net before the hearthside, he heard a strange, sad noise outside the cottage door. When he looked out, there stood the fairest woman he had ever seen. She was straight of limb and her eyes were brown and soft. She wore no garment on her white-skinned body, but her gold-brown hair fell thickly and hid her comeliness. Oh, help me, help me, mortal man, she pleaded, for I am a hapless daughter of the sea. I have lost my silken sealskin and may never return to my brothers and sisters until I find it again. Even as he invited her over the threshold of his cottage and gave her his plaid for covering, Roderick knew farewell that this lovely child of the sea was none other than the owner of the skin of golden brown that he had stolen away from the shore that morning. He had only to reach up to the lintel, take down the hidden sealskin, and she would be free to swim away and rejoin her brothers and sisters of the sea. But Roderick looked at her as she sat beside the hearthside, and he thought how pleasant his life would be if he could keep this fair seal woman as his wife. 
to cheer his loneliness and bring joy to his heart. So he said, I cannot help you find your silken sealskin. I doubt some man came by and stole it as it lay upon the shore, and now he will be far away. But if you will stay here and consent to be my wife, I will honour you in my home and love you all my life. The sea king's daughter lifted her brown eyes full of sorrow to the fisherman's gaze. If indeed my silken skin has been stolen and there is no hope that I may recover it, then I have no choice but to remain with you and become your wife, she said. For I could hope for no greater kindness than that you have shown me and should be afraid to venture into the mortal world alone. Then she sighed for the life of the sea that she had thought she would never know again. But I would fain be with my brothers and sisters of the sea who will wait for me and will call my name in vain. The fisherman's heart smote him at her distress, but he was so enchanted by her beauty and her gentleness that he knew he could never let her go. For many years, Roderick McCodrum and his fair seal wife lived in the cottage by the shore, and many children were born to them, children with gold-brown hair and soft voices for singing. And the people who lived about that lonely isle called Roderick Mokodrum of the seals, because he had taken a seal woman to be his wife, and his children they called the children of Mokodrum of the seals. Throughout this time, the sea king's daughter remembered always her great sorrow. She would walk alone by the shore, listening to the kolmara, that is the music of the sea, and the gate namara, that is the laughter of the waves. And sometimes she would glimpse her brothers and sisters as they swam by the shore, and sometimes she would hear them calling calling the name of their long-lost sister. And she wished she might join them again with all the longing in her heart. There came a day when Roderick set out as usual for his fishing, taking fond leave of his wife and children. But on the way to his boat, a hare crossed his path, which is a sure sign of ill luck. Roderick was in two minds whether to turn back or not after this unlucky portent, but he glanced at the sky and said to himself, It is only a bit of windy weather, that will be my ill luck today. I have known plenty of storms blow up over the sea before now. And he went on his way. He had not been gone long when the wind did blow up. It whistled over the sea, and it whistled round the cottage on the shore where his wife and children were left behind. The youngest child was out on the shore, putting shells to his ear to listen to the sea music that he loved when his mother called him to come inside. Just as he stepped across the threshold, the wind blew an even fiercer blast, and the cottage door banged shut with a clash that set the turf thatch a-shuddering. It dislodged at last from the lintel where it had lain hidden ever since Roderick placed it there for safekeeping. Down fell the silken sealskin that belonged to his fair seal wife. Never a word she spoke aloud against the man who had kept her there against her will for so long, long years that had passed. But she put off her mortal's clothes and clasped the sealskin to her. Then she took one farewell of her children and went down to the sea. And there, while the wild sea horses frolicked offshore, she clad herself in the skin of the golden brown and swam out across the water. Soon she turned to gaze at last upon the little cottage, where she had perhaps known a little happiness in spite of her unwillingness to dwell there. And along the frothing line of the surf that rolled in from the great Atlantic, she saw her children standing forlorn upon the shore but the call of the sea was stronger for her than the cry of her earthborn children, and far, far away she swam, singing for joy and happiness as she went. When Roderick McCodrum came back from his day's fishing, 
he found an open door upon the cottage, deserted forever of a woman's care, with no sign of a peat fire flame in the hearth to welcome his return. Fear filled his heart, and he reached up to the lintel of the door, and when he discovered that sealskin had gone, then he knew that his lovely wife had returned to the sea. Great was his grief, as his weeping children told him how their mother had taken but one farewell and left them alone upon the shore. Black was the day that a hare crossed my path as I went to my boat, sorrowed Roderick, for the wind blew strong, and I had but an ill day fishing, and now this great calamity has fallen upon me. He never forgot his fair seal wife, but grieved for her all the days of his life, and remembering that their mother had been a seal woman, forever after that time the sons of Roderick McCodrum, and their sons after them, were careful never to disturb or harm any seal that they might see. And they were called the clan McCodrum of the seals, which became known throughout North U.S. and the Outer Hebrides as a sept of Clan Donald. As always, I'd like to thank you for listening to another episode of the Myth, Legend and Lore podcast. I'm going to attach the song um, Silky that I spoke of uh, to the end of the podcast. And I really, really do encourage you to listen to it all the way through to the end. Until then, you can get me on Twitter at loremyth or email mlegendlore at gmail.com. Thank you. This has been Siobhan Clark and the Myth, Legend and Lore podcast.
Sweet.